The reading this morning is from Ephesians, and it's chapter 3, and we're going to read from 1 to 6. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We'll just pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, Lord God, that we have people who can help us to understand it. And especially we thank you for David, our pastor. We ask you, Lord God, that you would be here with us this morning with David. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help him so that he can teach us. And we ask for the Holy Spirit to be amongst us so that we understand what's being taught to us. Lord God, I pray too for the children who've gone through into Sunday school. We thank you so much for the help as they, and ask that you will be with them so those children can hear, listen, and take into their hearts what's being taught to them. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, anyone who reads the New Testament will soon realize the significance of the church in this current age. That just as God's dealings with Israel were important during that period of human history, so what God is doing in and through the church in these days is as least as equally important, arguably even more so. Look, for example, at what Paul writes uh, in here, chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 8 to 10. We're looking at, God willing, next week. To me, Paul writes, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The fullness of God's wisdom is being revealed in these days, our days, today, this morning, right now is the wisdom of God being revealed. And not only is the world watching with an opinion, whether good or bad, but here we're told that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, i.e. even angels, 
and demons are studying the church to understand what God's plan is for creation. It's as though in these last days, the curtain has been raised and there is the church as the stage on which God is presenting his great drama of redemption, this age-old wonderful love story in which God brings back those who have rebelled against him, those who have ruined his beautiful world, but by his grace towards them, God is winning hearts. God is turning sinners back to their creator. And now they, the redeemed, are the proof of his saving grace. Paul has already mentioned something of this grace back in chapter 2. How once uh, the Gentile believers, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, Jews and Gentile believers, but he's there specifically focusing on Gentile believers. They were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now things have changed. But now in Christ Jesus, whilst once they were far off, now they have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to describe what that now means. We spent last week looking at that, verses 19 onwards. You are no longer strangers and aliens and so on and so forth. This good work of God that he has been doing, certainly in the life there in the ministry of Paul and through their ages since this good work in saving people of bringing saved sinners into his kingdom, into his family, into his household is still happening this morning, right now, all over the world. So whatever news is happening today, and much of it is very, very serious, this is the most serious, the most exciting news that is happening today. Let that sink in. Of all that is going on in the world today, and there's a lot happening, switch on your TV. Of all that's happening, what God is doing in our day is the most exciting thing happening in the world. Do you believe that? It's as Christ described in his parables of God's kingdom and how his work is largely unnoticed. It's the tiny mustard seed that falls into the ground that slowly grows, slowly, slowly, but surely grows and spreads out. Or it's like leaven that becomes part of the dough and slowly but surely spreads and affects everything. The work of God worked out in every local church is largely unnoticed by the world. It's largely ignored by the world. And yet the work of God through every local church 
is the most exciting thing happening in Newcastle this morning. Think about that. Often, even I, as I drive to church, I'm wondering, I wonder what they're going to do this morning. I wonder where they're going this morning. Wouldn't it be nice to go to the beach this morning? I see people running along Durham Road. I'm thinking, I'd be lovely to go for a run this morning. But I'm coming to church. Going to Welbeck Road in Biker, and yet this, believe me, is the most important, the most serious. This is the most exciting thing happening in Newcastle this morning. Praise God. It is. And that's what I want to try and show you this morning. This is God working out his plan from eternity, his wisdom worked out through the scriptures, through his son Jesus Christ, now being worked out now in these last days, his work of redemption in saving his people and in glorifying his son Jesus Christ. That sense of excitement, that sense of seriousness is what Paul elaborates on now in chapter 3, this next part of his letter to the Christians in Ephesus. And what he has written so far, you see in chapter 3, verse 3, as, as briefly. Yes, he has written briefly on each of these massive subjects we've spent a long time looking at. But I hope you've seen how all of it is brilliant. It's meant to stir us and to, to reinvigorate our faith in, in our Savior and how great a God it is that we worship. But now here in chapter 3, just before he prays again for the believers there in verse 14 onwards, Paul begins to talk about himself. He begins to explain the nature of his ministry as an apostle. He begins to explain his understanding of what it is he preaches, what he calls a mystery. So, what is it that Paul wants to say to us about himself? Well, first of all, he tells us that he's a prisoner. That in this age, this messianic age, the age of the Christ, this age in which God is fulfilling his purposes, working out his eternal plan to save his people, Paul is a prisoner. Paul is a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf or for the sake of you, Gentiles. It's very likely Paul is writing this letter from Rome where he is under house arrest. That's how Acts 29 ends. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's very likely that during those two years of confinement, those two years of imprisonment in Rome, that was when Paul wrote his letters, his epistles to Philemon, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, and this one to the church at Ephesus. But see how Paul refers to himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I mean, wasn't he a prisoner of Rome? Wasn't he Nero's prisoner? In fact, wasn't it basically because of the Jews that the Romans had arrested Paul? If you read through Acts, 
In Acts 25, verse 11, he realizes he's not going to get a fair trial. And so he appeals to Caesar. And so off to Rome he's sent. So surely it isn't of Jesus Christ that Paul is a prisoner, but of Rome. And yet here Paul, as usual, has a different perspective on things that maybe you or I would have. Yes, of course, evidently so. He's being held according to Roman law. In chapter 6, verse 20, he talks of being chained. He is definitely confined. And yet Paul can see God's sovereign hand in all of this. That though what had brought him to this point in his life had been a series of real circumstances of life, and if you read through Acts, you get the details, yet this is where Christ wants his servant to be. This is exactly how he wants his servant to be. For now, confined. Confined. Confined for the sake of the gospel. Confined for the building up of the saints through his preaching and teaching of those who came to visit him. And confined for the sake of writing these letters, which here we have them now. Letters which have been such a blessing, a, a method that God has used to build up his people ever since all that Paul went through. So yes, Paul might well have been able to say to the Jews and to the Romans, uh, and to the Romans as, as Joseph, remember, had said to his brothers back in Genesis 50, what you did to me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Paul had been made a prisoner. Paul had been confined for Jesus and for the sake of others. And I wonder, are you and I able to look at things from the same perspective as Paul can here? To see your circumstances, even that of a confinement of sorts, but can you see yet the sovereign hand of God upon your life in terms of where exactly you are now and how exactly you are now in life, even if it's something you would not have chosen for yourself? But for you now, you're confined to a role or you're confined to a job. You're confined to a home, you're confined to a bed, you're confined somehow, but for Jesus and for the sake of others. I wonder by the grace of God are we able to say something like Paul said, I, David, am currently unemployed for Christ Jesus. For now, this is how God wants me to be and for the sake of others. I, David, living in a residential home for Christ Jesus 
and for the benefit of the others there. By the grace of God, could I say, I, David, am currently working in wherever place of work God has placed me, and some days I just want to run for the hills. But God is renewing my mind to look at life and to look at the perspective, to have that perspective of my life, to, to see that God has put me here for Jesus and for the benefit of those who are around me. Maybe even I am David, currently single for Jesus Christ, for now and for the sake of others. I wonder, can we trust God in that way? I find this more and more myself, if I can be a bit personal as I go through midlife. And something of another wave of a midlife crisis rolls over me every now and again. It's usually every month or so. It's not too often. <laughs> but time is marching on. The world is pressing on. And I'm confined to this role. You know, the world doesn't notice. Nobody's watching, by and large. Confined to a role, confined largely to a room on my own, to a book. But can I view things differently? Can I view what God has called me to as Paul would look at it and see the wisdom of God in it? I wonder, can you do that? I wonder if you... Do you feel confined to a role in life that, that you feel jealous of the rest of the world as they press on? I want us to try and catch the excitement of Paul in this passage. That if, if this is true, friends, if this is the, the pinnacle of of God's work in, in saving his elect people, people chosen in Christ from before time began, and if this is the age in which he is saving them, and if the local church is the means through which he is saving them, then what else is better than this? <laughs> you got to remind me of that some, once a month. What else is better than this? And if God is using you in your role in this age to that same end, if this is where he wants you to be for now, where else better could you be now? I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about that. How can I best honor Christ in my life where he has me now for the glory of God? of his name and for the benefit of those around me. Look at what he says. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. The second thing to point out from this passage is what Paul begins to tell us about himself, about the message he preached, the message he wrote about to others. We live in an age of plagiarism where people copy ideas from others or use AI to write essays or even sermons, I've heard. Uh, I've heard people using sermons yeah, and preaching them. And I would be interested to know what the outcome of it is. 
but they present this material as their own material. Where did Paul get his material from that we've been studying? I think I've told you this before. I remember talking to an old pastor of mine, Sam Gordon, and uh, we were talking about sermon preparation and the use of commentaries and study guides to get material. And uh, he told me, someone once said to him, we, we preachers get milk from lots of different cows, but we make our own butter. In other words, we get lots of helpful material, as I do, from lots of different authors, as I have around me at my study. But what we present has to be our own work. And here in verse 2, Paul tells us how he made his butter. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. There's that word there that Paul uses, a mystery. It's something he refers to three times, verse 3, verse 4, later on in verse 9. It's because of God's grace and because of how gracious God is in wanting to save people like you and me. But he has made known to Paul this mystery that he preaches so let's ask a few questions about this mystery. First of all, what is a mystery? Often you think of that word, and from our Western context, a, a mystery is a puzzle. And uh, it's something that remains a puzzle. It's, it's something secret. It's, it's something that remains inexplicable. It's incomprehensible. But from the Bible's perspective, a, a mystery is something that that was a secret to us, but has now been revealed to us, now has been made known to us. Prior to that, it was something that had only been known by God. It was His secret, something that we would never have been able to find out for ourselves. But now, God has revealed His secret to us. He has allowed His secret to be opened up for us. This is the mystery that Paul has been preaching. So how did he get this mystery? Well, we're told uh, it was made known by revelation. In other words, the Holy Spirit had revealed this hidden truth to Paul. Paul had experienced what the Lord Jesus Christ said the Holy Spirit would do. You read of in John chapter 14, verse 26, the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Later on in chapter 16, he tells them, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So, where did Paul get his preaching material from? From the Holy Spirit. He had revealed this mystery to Paul and the other apostles and the prophets, as you see there in verse 5. Verse 4 says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed 
to his apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So it's a new revelation. And what that looked like for Paul, you can read in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul talks about going to different places for so many years and so forth. That's how the revelation was worked out in his understanding, but fundamentally it, it came to him from God by the Holy Spirit. So it's an eternal truth, a truth not known during the Old Covenant, Old Testament period, but only now has been made known to Paul and the others by the ministry of God's Spirit. Thirdly then, what is this mystery? What is it that has been revealed to Paul? He calls it in verse 4, the mystery of Christ. That's what he calls it in Colossians 4 verse 3, that other prison letter. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. The mystery of Christ concerns the person of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, his person as to who he is. He is the Son of God who has come into our world as one of us. It concerns the purpose of the person of Christ. He came to be a sacrifice for our sin. He came to live out the righteousness of God and to reveal the glory of God to us in human form. But Christ, the person, is the substance of the mystery. He's the essence of this new revelation. So what is it about the Lord Jesus that has now, only now, been revealed? Well, we spent two weeks looking at it. Oh, you've got it. Hopefully this is like, oh, I've never heard that before. We've spent two weeks looking at it. Paul spent half of chapter 2 describing it, verses 11 to 22. You see the summary of it in verse 6 of chapter 3. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, through the Lord Jesus Christ coming into our world, through him coming to us as one of us, through him taking upon himself all our sin and giving himself over to be nailed to that cross where he suffered and died for our sin, Christ has reconciled believing Jews and Gentiles to God. That through his work, his work of substitutionary atonement on the cross, God has reconciled people to God and to one another. That's what Paul has been saying to us there in chapter 2 as he talks about what Christ did on the cross. Look at verse 15 very quickly. By abolishing the law of commands and ordinances that Christ, made, that, that Christ might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the Lord Jesus has joined all believers together through the gospel of saving grace. People from all over the world, people of different cultures, different languages, 
different backgrounds, different ethnicities, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we all have been joined to God and we all have been joined to each other to form this one new community of God's people, what we call the church. Under the old covenant, it was only one nation, Israel. Israel were God's people. But now in these last days of the new covenant, it is an international people. It's whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whatever their background, whatever their nationality, whatever their ethnicity, but the arms go out to the whole world. Whoever you are, wherever you are, come to this one person, Jesus Christ. And through him and through his work on the cross, through his death, through his resurrection from the grave, he will bring you back to God. He will reconcile you to God and he will bring you into the family of God. Now, Paul tells us this truth about Christ wasn't known before. I want to question that. Look at verse 5, not made known in other generations. I want to question that. Look at verse 9, hidden for ages in God. I want to question that. What about the Old Testament? Hadn't writers of the Old Testament talked about this? Well, yes. We've read from it already, haven't we, this morning? We've read from Psalm 98. Think of Psalm 2, verse 8. That great messianic psalm about God's Son. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Think of Psalm 42. Think of Psalm 49. It is too light a thing that you, Christ Jesus, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Paul, hadn't you read these verses? You think too of what God promised Abraham in Genesis 12. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is strange. Each of those references and all the others, they, they likewise speak of God extending his blessing, his salvation to the whole world. So how is this a new revelation, Paul? You see, what they don't say but what Paul tells us has now been revealed to us is the extent, is the degree of God's inclusion of non-Jews in his salvation. You see, and I say this carefully, if all we had was the Old Testament, all we would have known under that revelation is that God through Israel was going to bring salvation to all the nations of the world. 
which in itself is a wonderful thing. Thank God for that. That God saves Israel, his chosen, his ancient chosen people, and he chooses to save others. That's a wonderful thing, a glorious thing. That is good news, friends, but let me listen, or sorry, you listen, let me say to you, there's even greater news. And the even greater news is what the New Testament tells us. That those who have been saved from every nation of the world are, as Paul summarizes in verse 6, we all are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I said, that's why I want to say this carefully, because I know there are certain brethren who I love and respect greatly. I have their books on my shelf, so I'm not belittling them whatsoever. But at times I do wonder whether they, they interpret Scripture as though they only had the Old Testament. And they don't look at the Old Testament now through the greater light of the New Testament. And therefore they interpret those things in the Old Testament in the light of what has now been revealed to us in the New Testament, as Paul talks about here. This is the new mystery in Christ that Old Testament Israel didn't know. The extent of the equality of all believers, regardless of where we have come from, to Jesus. That Christians in Biker, Newcastle, are fellow heirs with converted Jews in Jerusalem this morning. We have the same inheritance. We have the same future. We belong to the same body. We belong to the same community. We have the same worth. You think of how the New, the New Living Translation paraphrases verse 6. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Another translation, J.B. Phillips, even plainer he puts it, it is simply this, that the Gentiles are to be equal heirs with his chosen people, equal members and equal partners in God's promise given by Christ Jesus through the gospel. So friends, there is this profound equality throughout the people of God, which, which we have to work out in our day. It is horrendous. It is, it is so disappointing when a church that is clearly showing, I'm not talking about our church, so don't get all fidgety, you know. It is terrible when a church that clearly comprises of people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, but we, we form our little groups. We, we sit in the same room, but given half the chance, we like to break into our little groups again. But Christ has brought us together as one people around our one Savior and our one King, Jesus Christ. There is a glorious equality that, that we have to work out 
and we have to strive to demonstrate to a world who is watching to see, so what's this gospel of Jesus Christ all about? Well, look at them, boys. Will you look at them? Look at how different they all are, and yet look at how they love one another. Look at how they care for one another. That's the proof that Jesus Christ has come. This profound equality throughout the family of God, whether you are a Jew from Bethlehem or a non-Jew from Biker, whether you're a Jew from Israel or a non-Jew from Iran, and we know how typically those two don't get on, yet in Christ they do. They should. In Christ, all believers are one people, His people, exclusively the new covenant Israel of God, fellow heirs, equal heirs of what God has promised His people, equal members, equal partners. And God is working all of that out in our day. That's why this is to be exciting. This is the most exciting, the most important, the most serious thing happening today. And it's all worked out through local church ministry. Uh, Rodney's already presented this week's ministry, the, 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 the calendar uh, which God has given us to, to do and to get involved in, but this is how God is involving us in his plan to fulfill his eternal wisdom. This is where God is at work, through the local church, through this local church. But even us, warts and all, the things you like, the things you don't like, but even our church is the means that God uses to achieve the end, to achieve the fulfillment of this mystery which has been hidden in ages past. The fulfillment of God's plan worked out now and in our day. Friends, what a privilege it is then that in God's providence you and I live in these days of fulfillment. What an enormous privilege it is to be part of God's plan here at Welbeck Road Church. Let that sink in. What a privilege it is to belong to this church where God is working out his, his plan to save sinners and to, to sanctify his people to present them holy one day on the last day. What a privilege to be part of it. You might even feel confined to this church. But for Jesus Christ and for the sake of others. So let me close just with this last appeal. Friend, if you're not already involved here, please get involved. Come on, get involved in this good work that God is doing here. Become a member of this church. Become a member and uh, help in the various ministries we run here, which we believe God uses to fulfill his will amongst us here. But, but step up. Say, this is my church. This is where I want to serve my Savior here in this church. Let me encourage you to do that. I hope, I hope. But, but, but may God uh, impress to us the, 
the excitement and the enthusiasm which Paul wants us to, to get from this chapter that, that we might, might get involved in what God is doing in these last days, even here in Biker. Amen. Well, let me pray to that end now, shall I? Lord, thank you for uh, this message this morning, Lord, reminding us of our great privileged inclusion, Lord, in your people. Father, we're so blessed, Lord, and Lord, we're sorry that we, we a lot of the times don't realize just how blessed we are. But Lord, please revive us, God. May the Holy Spirit revive this understanding of, of the Lord Jesus and, and his will and his purpose in, in saving us and why we're still here, not in heaven. But Lord, please, Revive your work in these days, Lord. And may we see you do even more, Lord, in reaching those here in Biker. Our, our neighbors, our families, the people that we reach through these various ministries we do each week. Lord, let us see your glory. And Lord, may you fill these ministries with your power, Lord, and with your people. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.